chapters five through seven of the story of Joan of Arc by Andrew Lang. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five How the Maid Saw the Dauphin. When Joan reached Chinon, she was lodged with a lady who was very kind, and she waited to see the Dauphin. His advisers were not sure that he ought to see the maid at all, but probably he was curious and at last she was brought to the castle and led up the stairs to a great hall where were many men in splendid dresses the castle is in ruins now and the hall has no roof over it but you can still go in and see the walls and empty windows and the great fireplace a man plainly dressed was in the crowd of magnificent courtiers in silk and gold embroidery joan went straight up and kneeling on one knee said fair sir you are the dauphin to whom i am come but the man pointed to a knight very richly dressed and said that is the king no fair sir said joan it is to you that i am sent the dauphin for the man was the dauphin was surprised at this for she had never seen him before he allowed joan to come to the castle and talk to him but he was not sure that she was not an impostor or a silly girl one day, however, she took them aside into a corner where nobody could hear what they were talking about. When their conversation was ended, the Dauphin looked very grave, and Joan looked very glad. She had told him something that made him believe in her. What had Joan told to the king? It was known at the time that she had told him something that amazed him, for it is mentioned in a letter written a few weeks later by Alan Chartier, a famous poet. But nobody knew the secret. Joan would never let anyone know. When she was a prisoner among the English, the French priests and lawyers tried to make her speak, but she would not. It was her king's secret. Eight years after Joan was dead, a very strange thing happened. A woman who said that Joan had not died and that she was Joan came to Orleans with Joan's brothers. The people of Orleans, who had known the maid very well, believed that this woman was Joan come again and feasted her and gave her presents. Then she was taken to the king. He himself was puzzled and said, Maid, my dear, I am glad to see you again. Do you remember the secret between you and me? Then the false pretender to be the maid confessed that she knew nothing. When the king was old, he revealed the secret to a friend. On that day, when they went apart together at Chinonde, Joan reminded him of the secret prayer which, as I told you, the dauphin had made when alone asking that he might know whether he really was the son of the late king, and himself the rightful king of France. "'You are the rightful king,' Joan said. When the Dauphin heard her words, he made things go on quicker. Priests were sent to Joan's village to find out if she had been a good girl when she was at home. Then she was taken to Poitiers, to be examined by many learned men, priests and lawyers. They tried to perplex her by their questions, but she was straightforward, and told them how the voices had come to her. One man asked her to give a sign by working a miracle. "'I have not come to Poitiers to give signs,' said Joan. "'But let me go to Orleans, and you shall see what I do.' She never professed to work miracles. She wanted to lead an army to Orleans, and the sign to be given was the defeat of the English and the rescue of the besieged town." 
For six weary weeks the learned men and priests examined Joan, and tried in every way to find some fault in her answers. At last they drew up a report and signed it, saying that, to doubt the maid would be to resist the Holy Spirit. What they were afraid of all the time was that Joan might be advised by spirits to be sure, but evil spirits or devils. The English and the French lawyers on the English side declared that Joan was possessed by devils. They thought that because they could not deny her powers, but as she was not on their side, her powers could not come from God, but from Satan. To think in that way is common. People always believe that their own side is the right side. But nobody ever heard of evil spirits taking possession of anyone who was really good, and no man could ever find any single bad thing in Joan the Maid. So now the Dauphin began to collect an army to march with Joan to Orleans. Of course he ought to have done that before, even if there had been no Joan. It was a shameful thing that a strong town full of brave men should be taken by four thousand Englishmen without an effort by the French to drive the English away. But the French had lost all heart and courage. The brave Dunois himself said that a large force of French would run away from a little company of English. All that the French of the Dauphin's party needed was courage and confidence. As soon as they believed in Joan, they were full of confidence. They could not turn their backs as long as a girl of sixteen ran forward in front of them, through the rain of arrows and bullets and cannonballs, waving her banner and crying, Come on! At this time Joan prophesied that she would be wounded by an arrow at Orleans, but not to death. So a Flemish ambassador at Chinon wrote to the magistrates of his town at home, and his letter was copied into the town council's book before the maid went to the war. White armor was made for Joan to wear, and a Scottish painter made a banner, with sacred pictures for her to carry. His daughter was a great friend of Joan. The maid said that as for a sword, if they dug in the ground behind the altar at the chapel of St. Catherine in Fierbois, they would find a buried sword which she wished to carry, and it was found old and rusty with five crosses on the blade. The Duke of Alençon, a young cousin of the king's, who had been a prisoner of the English, saw Joan riding one day and was so pleased with her grace and good horsemanship that he gave her a very good horse and became one of her best friends. My fair Duke was what she used to call him. Everyone said that Joan's manners were as gentle and courteous as those of the greatest ladies, though she had been brought up in a poor cottage. Everything that she did was done in the best way and the noblest. CHAPTER Six: HOW THE MAID rode TO ORLEANS When, then, Joan's army was gathered with plenty of good things and powder and shot in wagons for the people of Orleans, she gave orders that no loose people should follow them. The soldiers must not drink and play dice and cards. They must pray, and must never swear. One of the generals, the brave Lahire, asked that he might be allowed one little oath. So she said he might swear by his baton, the short staff which he carried as a leader. Then Joan mounted and rode at the head of the army out of the gate of Blois. The French commander at Orleans, Dunois, had sent to say that they must march up the bank of the Loire opposite to that on which Orleans stands, for the English were very strong, 
with many fortifications on the road on the Orleans side and would stop them. Dunois seems to have thought that Joan's army should go above the town and be ferried across with the supplies for the city, for the English held the bridge, but that they could not cut their way through the main body of the English army on the other side of the river. But to go straight through the English where they were strongest was what Joan had intended. Therefore she was angry when she arrived at the place where Dunois was waiting for her, and saw that the river lay between her and the town of Orleans. You may think that her voices should have told her that she was marching on the wrong bank of the river. However, they did not. She asked Dunois why he had ordered them to come by the road they took. She said, I bring you better help than has ever come to any town or captain, the help of the King of Heaven. Dunois himself has left this account of what Joan said, and as she was speaking, the wind changed. It had been blowing in such a way as to make it hard for the boats to carry Joan and the provisions across the river. But now it went about, and they crossed easily, some way above the town. As for the army, Joan ordered them back to Blois, to cross by the bridge there, and marched Orleans again, past the forts and through the midst of the English. Once across the river, Joan mounted again, with her banner of Our Lord and the Lilies in her hand, and with Dunois at her side, and rode to the town. They passed an English fortress, the Church of St. Loup, in safety, and the people came out to meet them. Night had fallen, and the people who crowded round the maid were carrying torches. One of these set fire to the fringe of her banner and made her horse plunge but she crushed out the flame with her left hand in its steel glove and reined in her horse easily while the people cheered. And the women wished to kiss her hand, which she did not like, thinking the honor too great. It was a beautiful sight to see the maid ride into Orleans town. From that hour there was no more fear among the French. Dunois said, Till that day, Two hundred English could scatter eight hundred or a thousand of our men, but now they skulked in their forts and dared not come out against us. This is an extraordinary thing, for Talbot, who led the English, was the bravest of men, and was thought the greatest captain living. Joan sent to him a letter to bid him break up his camp and go away. The English laughed, and one day, when Joan went out to speak to them, they called her ill names so that she wept for shame. But somehow the English had certainly lost heart, or they had some reason which we do not know, for merely defending their strong fortresses. On the day after Joan entered Orleans, she wanted Dunois to sally out of the town with his men and assail the English. He did not think it wise to do so, and Joan went up to her own room. Suddenly she rushed down and asked her page why he had not told her that the French were fighting. She did not know where. It was at the fort and church of St. Loup, which Joan had passed on her way into Orleans. On this side, namely, farther up the river, above the town, the English were weakest, as they did not expect to be attacked on that side. The French were victorious. When they saw Joan ride up, they were filled with courage. Joan saw a Frenchman strike down an English prisoner. She dismounted, laid the poor prisoner's head in her lap, and did her best to comfort him. Chapter 7 
How the Maid Saved Orleans The Dauphin had given Joan a gentleman of good character to be with her always and take care of her. This gentleman was named Jean Dolon, and, as he has left an account of what Joan did at Orleans, we give what he said. On the day after Joan took the fortress of St. Loup from the English, she led her men to attack another English work on the farther side of the river. They could not cross by the bridge, of course, for the English held the strong building, Les Tourelles, at the bridge end, the place where the Earl of Salisbury was killed by the cannon shot. Moreover, an arch of the bridge had been broken lest the English should cross. So they went in boats to an island in the middle of the river, and then made a bridge of boats across the other branch of the Loire. But they found that the English had left the place which they meant to attack, and were in a much stronger fortress. The French, therefore, were returning to their boats, when the English rushed out of the second fortress to attack them when off their guard. But Joan and her friend Lahir, who had crossed the river with their horses, saw the English coming on, and put their lances in rest, a kind of support for the level spear, and spurred their horses at their enemies. The rest of the French followed Joan, and drove the English back into their fortress. Meanwhile Dolon, and a Spanish gentleman on the French side, took each other by the hand, and ran as fast as they could till they struck their swords against the outer fence, or strong wooden palisade, of the English. But in the narrow gateway stood a tall and very strong Englishman, who drove back the French. So Dolon asked a Frenchman, a good shot, to aim at the Englishman, whom he killed, and then Dolon and the Spaniard ran into the gateway and held it, while Joan and the rest of the French rushed in, and all the English were killed or gave themselves up as prisoners. By this time the French army, which went down to Blois to cross the bridge, had returned to Orleans, and had gone past the English fortresses without being attacked. So there were now many fighting men in Orleans. Next day, therefore, Joan insisted that they should attack the strongest of all the English forts, Les Tourelles, at the end of the bridge farthest from the town. The generals thought this plan too dangerous, as the fortress was so strong but no doubt Joan was right, because the English on the town side of the river could not cross over to help their countrymen. If they crossed in boats, they would be shot and cut down as they landed. If the French generals did not understand that, Joan did. She was full of confidence. A man asked her to wait for breakfast and offered her a big trout caught in the Loire. She said, Keep it for supper. I will bring back an English prisoner to help eat it and I will come back by the bridge. Now the bridge, we saw, was broken. Dolon heard her say this, and no doubt he wondered what she meant. He understood her at night. So Joan caused the gate to be thrown open, and the townspeople, who were very eager, rushed to the river bank and crossed in boats. The regular soldiers followed, and all day long they attacked the walls, carrying ladders to climb them with, while Joan stood under the wall, waving her banner and crying, Forward! But from behind the battlement the English kept shooting with arrows and muskets, so that many of the French were killed. 
and a strong Englishman threw down the ladders as they were pushed to the top of the walls. There were five or six hundred of the best of the English in this castle, under two leaders whom the French called Bumis and Glacidas. The name of Glacidas was Glasdale. We do not know who Bumis was. So all day companies of the French and Scots, carrying ladders and with banners flying, went down into the deep ditch below the wall and were shot or driven out. Now the great Dunois, the most famous of the French leaders, tells us what Joan did. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon when the thing that she had prophesied happened to her. A bolt from an English crossbow passed through her armor between the collarbone and the shoulder-blade, and stood out six inches behind her shoulder. She was carried out of range, and the arrow was drawn out. Another witness says that a soldier wished to sing a magical song over the wound to heal it, but she would not allow this to be done, and went back into the battle, hurt as she was. She cried a little. They fought on. They had begun in the early morning, and it was eight o'clock, and past sunset, when Dunois said that they could not take the fort that day, and wished to call off the soldiers from the ditch. But Joan came to them, and asked him to wait a little while. She mounted her horse, and rode to a vineyard, and there she prayed, for half a quarter of an hour. Then she rode back, and went through the hail of shot and arrows to the edge of the ditch, while Dulon covered her, he says, with his shield. She saw that a soldier had taken her standard into the ditch. She seized the standard, and it waved so that all her men saw it and rushed up. "'We shall take the fort,' said Joan, "'when my standard touches the wall.' The wind blew the banner fringe against the wall, and the French made one more rush, they climbed the ladders, they tumbled into the fort, and the English were slain or taken, and Glasdale, their leader, who tried to cross to another tower by a plank, fell into the river and was drowned. Then Joan crossed back to Orleans by the bridge, as Dolon heard her say that she would, when she set out in the morning. For the townspeople laid a beam across the broken arch, and on this she walked over, after winning so great a victory by her own courage. For Dunois says that the English were terrified when they saw her under the wall again in the growing darkness, and that they had no more heart to fight. Joan was very tired. She had her wound dressed by a surgeon, and for supper she had four or five little pieces of toast dipped in weak wine and water. That was all she ate, Dunois says, all that long day. Early next morning the English left their forts and drew up in a line of battle. Joan had put on a very light shirt of mail made of steel rings, because her wound did not permit her to wear the usual armor made of heavy steel plates. She said that the English must be allowed to go away and must not be attacked. Thus the town of Orleans was delivered on 8th of May, and ever since to this day they keep a festival on 8th of May in every year, and rejoice in honor of the maid. All the expense and labor of the English in the seven-month siege had been turned to waste by Joan in four days, 
France was free south of the Loire, and Joan had kept her word. She had shown a sign at Orleans. It sounds like a fairy tale, but it certainly happened. Joan made the French able to do what they did merely by giving them courage. Her army would not have come together if she had not given them something to believe in, herself. She thought that she led about ten thousand men, but it is not easy to be sure of the numbers. The English, if they were only four thousand, could not resist the new army and the old garrison of Orleans if the French had faith in themselves. And Joan gave them faith. At the same time, the English seemed to have arranged their army in a very foolish way. About one thousand were on the farther side of a river which the three thousand on the right bank could not or did not try to cross to help their friends. The larger part of the English army might have attacked one of the gates of Orleans and frightened Joan's army, who would have come back across the river to defend the town. The English in the fortress at the farther end of the bridge would then have been safe. But the English on the right bank did nothing at all, for some reason which we do not understand. End of chapter 7